Good morning, everybody. How you doing? You doing all right? Did you like that song? I like that song, man. Fill me up. There's a lot of things I was thinking of being filled up with at the moment, but uh, <coughs> right now we're going to get filled up with the word. Amen? Amen. All right. <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning for uh, our church here and all the things that are going on, the motorcycle outreaches, the youth outreaches, the prison outreaches. Uh, God, you've mobilized a lot of people uh, in our community here to reach needs and to reach hearts. And so, Father, I pray now we would open up our heart to our need for the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. My, my wife and I had a big rip-roaring fight. Uh, and uh, it's about the second thing I've done wrong during the whole marriage. So... Uh, <laughs> It's always my line, you know. It's the second thing I've done wrong. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was just one of those things where I had to go somewhere. I had a meeting, and there's nothing worse in having a fight with someone. By the way, does anybody else fight with their wife besides me or husband? I mean, I, am I the only one? Because if I'm the only one, then, you know, I should just skip this whole segment. <laughs> Actually, Tim, you were the inspiration for the story, so. No, I... So, I, you know, and you got to go to work. You know, you're, you, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, I got to go. I can't stay and work this out. And it's like the, one of the worst feelings you can have because what happens is as 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock rolls around, you begin to think, I got to go home. <laughs> I got to go home and face the music. And the worst part is you've had a day to realize what a jerk you've been. And so now you're thinking, not only do I got to go home, but I got to go home, and I know I'm not completely in the right. So I got to go home and apologize. I got to go home. Come on, how, guys, be with me here. Have you ever had butterflies like that? You know, I got to go home. And you're almost thinking of ways to stay late. You know, you're, you're kind of conjuring up work for yourself, hoping your wife gets really tired by the time you get home, and she's like, you know what, let's just forget it. Does that ever happen, by the way? <laughs> Coming home. That's kind of the theme of today's message. Coming home. And in Luke chapter 15, we have not a husband and wife, but a son and a father who have been separated by distance. And the boy comes home. It's a familiar parable, the parable of the lost son or the loving father. However, you've heard it in years past. And uh, I want to talk about that today. I think it's an important thing uh, to talk about coming home and what brings us home. The context of the parable is a confrontation, once again, between the Jewish rulers and Jesus. And the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus because he doesn't just receive people who don't believe. He doesn't just receive the murderers and the thieves and the hookers and the corrupt IRS agents. He doesn't just receive them. He talks with them. He walks with them. He befriends them. He finds them just where they are. And the Pharisees, the Jewish rulers, are saying, Jesus, Jesus, they don't need forgiveness. They need more rules. They need more structure in, in order to get God's blessing. Then and only then can we begin to see some real good things come out of their lives. In a way, you can kind of see the Pharisees' concern. Jesus is hanging out with the people that from birth... We are warned to stay away from. He's talking with 
prostitutes and corrupt IRS officials. He's hanging out with drunken thieves and murderers. These are the kind of people we're taught to avoid. I mean, come on, Jesus. What kind of message does it send when the people who struggle so hard to live a pure life don't seem to get half the attention as those who are stuck in the mud? Do we really want to promote a faith which says the lost are precious in God's sight, that good behavior equals less divine joy while bad behavior equals more? Jesus, the best way to help these people is to let them have it. Let's get these standards of morality back up. Let's help these people achieve it. Jesus, Jesus. This isn't just bad theology. It's bad pastoral care. Jesus, you're, you're, you're not helping these people. You're quibbling them, quibbling them for life. You receive sinners and give warnings to the righteous? What kind of message is that? Pretty soon, Jesus, people are going to be saying, why should I buy from the Pharisees what Jesus is giving away for free? Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, as we read a very, am I on? Okay. Very popular story here. The parable of the lost son, beginning in verse 11. Jesus says, there was a wise man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. He's a basically saying, dad, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You aren't dying quick enough so I can get the inheritance. So I just want it now. But I've considered you dead to me. And the father agrees. So not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and sets off for a distant country and squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a famine, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the hogs. No, the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he remembered, now how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He's saying, man, my father treats his servants good. Much better than these pods I got. My, my father treats his men good. And here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back, set out, meet with my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and you. Will you at least let me come back and work for you? Verse 21, his son goes back. I'm sorry, verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, he runs out, meets him, throws his arms around him. Not the greeting that the son had expected when he had said, you're as good as dead to me. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine is dead, was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, he had another son. Other son was in the field. And when he came to the house and he heard the music and dancing, he called one of his servants. He said, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother, you know that one that 
was so bad that made you look so good, he came home. And your father spilled the fattened calf to celebrate it. Verse 28 says the older brother got angry. He refused to go in. So his father pleaded with him, please, all these years. And, and of course, the, bro, the son answers his father, all these years I've worked for you, I've slayed for you, I've done everything you asked, and you've not even given me a young goat that I could have a party with my friends. Ah, oh, okay. It's not an earthquake. I <laughs> thought it was a jet plane flying a little too close to the ceiling there. It says, but when this son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours, says the father. But it is right to be celebrated and glad because this brothers of yours was dead now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. After reading through this whole story, I set myself to answer a question. What brought the dude back? What brought him back? It takes guts to say, you're dead to me, give me all your money, and then to come back. What brought him back? Was it that he was starving? Well, that was all part of it, sure. But he could have went a thousand places to handle that need. What made him think of his father? It was his father's goodness toward his servants. He remembered how he treated even the slaves of the household. And he said, you know what? My father's a good man. If he treats his servants that way, I'd rather be one of his servants than live out here with the pigs. So my life point for this morning is very simple. It's God's goodness that brings us home. When I was a kid, I used to sneak out of the house at night. Now, if you were all teenagers, I wouldn't tell this story. But since you're not, and hopefully you have your own houses so you don't have to sneak out. <laughs> I used to sneak out when I was a teenager to go smoke pot with my friends. And uh, we had a particular curb that was dark and, and not a lot of cars went by. On undeveloped road. One night, my dad realizes I'm not in my bed. And so he gets, his, he gets in his truck, and he starts driving at me. And my dad's headlights were a certain, I could tell if it was him. So I see his truck driving slowly, and, and I can tell he's looking for me. And the more he would try to find me, I was running through neighbor's yards. I, I mean, I was playing. It was kind of getting fun after a while, you know. I'm playing chicken with my dad, you know, and he's, I know I'm going to get it when I come home. So I figure I might as well make this night one of the best nights of my life, you know. He's the cop. I'm the robber. I'm running all around, you know. The more my dad tried to hunt me down, the further and the farther away from home I got. Uh, I ended up, by the time he finally caught me, I ended up probably a couple miles away from where I started. Uh, because I was dodging and ducking and trying to get away from him. And the fact is, when I was growing up, all the time, whenever my, you know, I'd go to the movies and my, my, my mom or so, you know, all the time my parents tried to chase me down. What happened is they really chased me further away. And then at one point, when I was about 16 or 17, 18 almost, they kind of had a talk with me. You know what? We're done. It's your life. It's your mistakes. We ain't going to chase you no more. And all of a sudden, 
you know, sneaking out, doing all, it didn't have the same, you know, it was a little bit like, man, if I end up, you know, a stoned out loser, it's all on me now. You know, I had nobody to blame anymore. And there was something about my parents, the way they had changed treating me, that I began to see them in a different light. So my first point for this morning is sometimes wait, wait for people who are struggling, for it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance. We call this story the parable of the prodigal son, but in fact, it's really the parable of the loving father. It emphasizes the graciousness of the father more than the sinfulness of the son. The son is very relatable. How many of you have just wanted to take off, go out, out to find America, you know, and just go out and get lost in, in the culture and the world and go out and party and just kind of sow your oats? You know, in each one of us, there's kind of that we can identify with that. What's really hard to identify is if we had been insulted like that father had been, it's a lot harder to receive people like that back into our lives. When people think of God as a merciless judge, and Jesus is trying to teach these Jewish rulers, you have made out God out to be a merciless judge. I've come here to change that. He's not the merciless judge. He's the loving father because Jesus is keen to note how many people want to run back into the arms of a merciless judge? We don't. We want to keep running. We figure at least the one second more that I'm running is better than the eternity, not eternity, but the rest of my life being thrown in jail or stuck in prison from that merciless judge. And Jesus is saying, when people think of God as the loving father, that he is. It's God's love. God's kindness that brings us to repentance. Oh, sure, I've seen people white-knuckle it for 100 days out of fear that God might not do something for them if they blow it big. But it lasts 100 days, maybe two. But you know, when people grab a hold of God's heart, say, man, you know what? I've taken for granted his mercy. I've taken for granted that he is a good God, and I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I'm coming home. I'm coming home because you're good. I'm coming home because you're loving. I'm coming home because the pigs ain't half as affectionate as you. Amen? Point number two. Run when crisis brings people your way sometimes god it seems like god chases us i know in my life i've ran and ran and ran and ran and you know i cloud myself i don't believe in god and i've got 15 reasons why god doesn't exist and i can't explain half the reason why things are here but hey you know there can't be i mean you just run you can run mentally you can run emotionally run spirit you can run in a lot of different ways and sometimes it seems like god is chasing you you feel like he's just a step behind you like the parable of the lost sheep that we talked about last week. You're that sheep wandering around, and Jesus comes and finds you. Why? Because there's joy in the finding. Sometimes, however, God allows a crisis in our life to happen. And I can't tell you, as, as a youth pastor, often I would speak with parents about their teens who are acting out. And they always wanted to chase after them with every step they took. And every now and then, I'd have to say, you know what? 
Would you consider letting them go for a little bit? Let them go. Hey, if God is God and this stuff really works, you got to believe that you can let go of the leash a little bit. Give them a little freedom. Let them experience what a real crisis in life is like. Because when those crises come, remember, this is a very interesting thing. It was the painful circumstances that the son was going through that caused him to see his father in a new way. His father had always been kind to his servants, but it wasn't until the son was reduced to a servant of pigs that he was able to see the father in a different light. For me, for you, for many of us, we sometimes do not see God as he really is until we sink lower, until we go through a crisis, until we go through something that is is life-shaking. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes that's the way to pray. God, there's so much destruction around this person I love. I pray that, you know, that there'd be some sort of crisis where they would see you differently. Not as the merciless judge, but as the loving father. Come home. But there's something else in the run. While the son was far off, it says that the father ran to meet him. Old men in the east do not run. Rich men in the east definitely do not run. Uh, it, was, it was a cultural thing. You know, the runners would be for the servants or the boys. Or, you know, they, but, but, but if you were a man of dignity, you walked. You, know? you never saw Caesar running around. You never saw kings running out. You know, they, people came to them. But in this case, the father breaks with all cultural tradition, and he laces up his sandals, and he starts dipping toward the sun. Could be for a couple reasons. For one, it could be that he just really wanted to show his love and mercy for the sun. But the second reason is this. Do you think the town didn't hear about what this boy did? He disowns his father, takes his inheritance, and leaves. As soon as the father knows the boy is within earshot of the village, he's running to meet him, probably for a couple reasons. A, before the town ever sees him, they will see him walking with his father, healed, reconciled. Second thing, in Deuteronomy chapter 21 in the Old Testament, do you know what the penalty for what this boy did to his father would have been? Stoning. They'd have thrown rocks at him until his head was bludgeoned on the ground. Sorry to be so graphic. That's what stoning was. So the father wraps his arm around him so that if one stone starts to come the son's way, it will hit the father first. Isn't that an amazing picture of what Jesus has done for us? Wrapped his arms around us so that any stoning, any punishment that's coming our way Hits Jesus first. Hit Jesus first. And the same with the father. Wraps his arms around the son. He runs to him. Son doesn't have to spend one worried moment wondering if the father will return to him. In fact, you know what's beautiful? The son doesn't even ask for forgiveness. Son doesn't even say, Dad, I blew it. Dad, I messed you over. Dad, I dissed you bad. Father runs. Wraps his arms around him commands his servants go get the robe go get the ring go get some fresh sandals this is my boy 
He doesn't have his inheritance back. His inheritance is gone. What does he get back? His father, his family, his people. And always remember, when crisis comes, and they do, they may come to us. God will stretch us, but he will not snap us. Lately, in my office, I have a lot of people who have come, and they're worried about God. They're worried about if God is just going to let them snap. And I would say this. God does stretch us. And believe it or not, God has more faith in us than we do sometimes. We think our snapping point is tomorrow. When God knows our snapping part, it's much further out because he is allowing the stretching to take place. All within his will, all within his power, all within his covering. All within his arms around us. Number three, drop bitterness and resentment and embrace forgiveness. Now we get to the part where some of us are at. How many of you, you got a family member, you got a friend, you got a coworker. You've got someone who basically looked at you and said, you're as good as dead to me. Basically looked at you and said, I don't care whether you live or die. Basically looked at you and said, you're nothing to me. You don't work, you don't mean nothing to me. Get out of here. And now they come back. And want to ask forgiveness. See, we talk about the far country, but Jesus isn't talking about literally that they moved to New York City. The far country can be in our heart. We can be distant from somebody that's in our heart. You can have somebody live five, five houses down from you, and you never see them. You never talk to them because there's that bitter wedge between you. And now they're coming back. And, there's, and he's saying, why should I share my estate with him? He wasted his own inheritance. Why should I share my father's love with him? He walked out on everybody. Hey, this guy made me look good. Now him coming back, I'm not looking as good anymore. There's a threat beginning here. See, the problem with the older son was not that he was wrong about what he assessed his younger brother. He was wrong about what he assessed about himself. Dad, I always did this for you. Dad, I always did that for you. Dad, I always did this. But there's one thing from his father he did not pick up. And that was a merciful heart. Somewhere down the road, this can happen very easily to us. We become self-righteous and unconcerned about the loss. So what happens when God begins to invite all these kinds of people into his kingdom, we get angry. And we say, God, I suffered. I worked. I did so hard. How could these people be being blessed? And here I am stuck in church going nowhere fast. It hits home when we realize that bitterness and unforgiveness seems a lot easier than letting it go. And so... Luke tells us that the brother would not go into the house. You get a horrible scene at the end. You have a party going on. The servants, the sisters, the mom, the dad, everybody is selling that this boy came to his senses. He came home and realized that life in his father's house was embracing the life that's truly life. There's one person who's not inside the house. He's at the door pacing. 
chewing on his tongue, cracking his knuckles, growling. He's thinking about how he wants to ask for his inheritance now and get out because he's mad. He's angry, and he cannot let it go. In fact, at the end of the story, you have a father pleading with one son and hoping to restore another. Everybody in the chapter kind of ends with a little bit of joy, except for the older brother. He's outside. And believe it or not, by standing out at that door, he had actually left home in his heart. So this morning, my final point is, come home. Become a kid again. Become God's kid again. The parables of the lost sheep and the lost son, as far as I can tell, neither of them actually ever repent. That comes second. Jesus deliberately does not go there at first because repentance without love and healing quickly decays into religion and ritual. But Jesus focuses on the joy of finding and the joy of forgiveness, and he's trying to show these Jewish religious rulers that that's the way. Jesus' point, he's saying, man, they're not found because they're worthy. They're found because I am determined to find them. Because I love them. And I desire for them to come home. In my years of preaching and pastoral ministry, I have met many of the elder brothers and elder sisters who have preferred nursing their anger to enjoying the fellowship of God with God and God's people. And because they refuse to forgive, they've even alienated themselves from church, alienated themselves from their families. They're absolutely sure, and this is a dangerous place to get to, they're absolutely sure that everyone else is wrong, and they are right. And so they plant their feet deep in their own rightness. But in the end, they talk loudly about the sins of others, but are blind to their own. So I encourage you this morning. Don't stand outside today. Drop the bitterness. Drop the resentment. Run to those who turn back to the Lord, even for a second. Wait upon those. For God's goodness brings us home. God's mercy leads us to repentance. Become a kid again. Come home. If you were to ask me, Tom, as many of you know, I was not a Christian for the first half of my life. When I became one, the feeling I had was not that I was joining something new, but coming home to something old, something that had always been there, but was blinded by my own deceptions or my own addictions, whatever it was. It was a coming home. It was becoming a kid again and being restored to a loving father. Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come on forward. There's two people that this message really talks to today. First is, maybe you're the elder son standing at the door. You don't want to fight people at church. You want to tell people about God because you're mad. You're angry. Let them all rot. Let them all burn. Just that attitude of the older brother. Hey, I work hard to pull my weight around here. 
if, if, if people want to go fall off a cliff, go let them. I don't care. That's one attitude God's trying to go to, get to us this morning. Why? That we don't decay into self-righteousness. That we don't look so clearly at the destruction of others and not realize that we too are all equal at the cross. But the second thing is for some of us, we are those lost sons and daughters. We're out in the far country, the far country of our hearts, the far country of our spirits. And hopefully this morning you've seen the Father is good. He's loving. Allow his kindness to bring you home. 